Hey there, this is Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and I am really excited to do today's video. I don't always talk about Stillmeyer Games in these videos, but today is very Stillmeyer specific. Um, a while ago, I asked our ambassadors to share their strategy tips with me. Um, I basically said, you know, pick your favorite game and your favorite strategy tip that you often tell the players when you're teaching that game. And I got a bunch of great tips from these ambassadors for six of our games. Um, I'll go, there are a few games where I only have a few tips and I'll throw in some tips of my own. And I also have a lot of tips for Scythe and Viticulture and Tapestry and Wingspan. So that's what today is all about. Strategy tips for our games. 50 total, I think, in, in, uh, in total. So let's jump right in in alphabetical order with Euphoria. Two tips for Euphoria. The first is, and this is my tip, you don't always need to retrieve all of your workers. So in Euphoria, you have these dice that you're placing on this board. And one of the, the mitigators for getting all your workers in this game, because you, you start with two, you could get up to four, is that when you retrieve your dice from the board, you have to roll those dice. And if the number on the, at the sum of those rolled dice, plus uh, the, uh, your current um, knowledge is too high, you're in a dystopia. You don't want your knowledge too high. Uh, one of those workers can run away if that if that knowledge is over 16. So my recommendation is you don't always actually have to retrieve all your workers. You can just re retrieve two of them or one of them. So if you go after all four workers, that can be a strategy and you just don't always have to pull them back. And that actually ties to the next strategy point number two here. Um, I'll stop numbering them because I will totally forget the numbers for all these strategy tips. Number two is try to plan your turn so that either you are in a position where your opponents will bump your worker. There are all these action spaces out here with the arrow. That means that your worker can be bumped. So if I'm my a die is there, another player or myself can place a die there, bumping that other worker back to me. And so if you position, position your dice on the table like that, on the board like that, then uh, then you're optimizing your turns a little bit better. You're saving a turn where you need to retrieve your workers. Instead, you're getting bumped back. And you can even set up your turn so you can bump yourself. So if I save up a few resources for an action like this, um, or maybe even an action like this, I can put a worker there, pay the cost, gain the benefit. Then on my next turn, pay the cost again with another worker, put that worker there, bump the original worker back to me. That can be a huge part of uh, optimizing a game in Euphoria. So that's Euphoria. The next game that I have a few tips on is Rolling Realms. So we have all these Rolling Realms realms here. This is a game where you are playing with three random realms, the same random realms as all, all other players. You're rolling some dice, you're writing the numbers down on these cards. Um, maybe I won't explain what the games are. If you're watching Strategy Tips, you, know, you probably know what these games are. So the first tip, this is my tip again, is that sometimes in Rolling Realms, giving up on a star can actually lead to more stars. So for example, in the Rolling Realms realm, promo realm here, um, you're trying to get the sum of each of these worlds to equal the sum of the other worlds. But sometimes, uh, but that's one of the goals. The other goal is that you're trying to have a different number on each of these faces. And so sometimes that might actually be better uh, if you're in a pinch to give up on one of those goals and just focus on the other one. Uh, this is also the case in like wingspan. In wingspan, you can optimize wingspan. Here's wingspan by getting the sum of a completed card, a completed bird card to equal the number on that card. But sometimes you're just not able to do that. And it might be better just to go ahead and get the star at the end of that card by placing a number there that doesn't result in the sum. So I think that can be key, key to keep in mind. It's, it's nice to go into a realm of Rolling Realms, uh, a round and a realm, trying to optimize it, get all the six stars. But sometimes if you give up on a star, you can actually end up with more in the long run. 
Some other tips. Rolling Realms, use your resources. Definitely, you are get, get a lot of resources from Rolling Realms. There's no need to save them for any real reason. They're only worth 0.1 points at the end of the round, 0.1 stars. So use them. Use them early, often. Try to try to use them to get that engine running if there is an engine on these cards. And another tip for Rolling Realms is don't ignore any one realm. Um, and that's a key tip. Yeah, I think there, there are times where you can maybe focus a little bit less on one realm than the other realms. But uh, in general, I think it's great if you can even activate all three realms on the same turn. There are only two dice in Rolling Realms, so it's probably easy to only activate two realms, but you can use hearts and coins to, and sometimes other abilities on other realms to, uh, to activate that third realm, and that can be really, really helpful in this game. All right, let's get on to a game with a lot of strategy tips. I'll read through these. Uh, I won't discuss them too much in detail because this will take forever. First tip is be efficient. Uh, and I'll just read what, what people are saying about this. Be efficient. Just because you want to do the action now doesn't mean you should. Try waiting in, until you can do both the bottom and the top action on your player mat as much as possible, with means, which means uh, don't be afraid of trade. Oh, this is a different tip. Yeah, so yeah, that is a big tip, and that'll actually tie to my tip in a second that I'll get to. When you're looking at the top and the bottom, optimize that top and the bottom combination inside. I'll pull open the box to see what I, I have all my side stuff spread out over multiple boxes. No, I don't have anything handy in there. Um, so the next tip is lean into the asymmetry. Uh, this person says they played a game of scythe where the Saxony player just tried to end the game as soon as possible by fighting people. He won before I could get enough popularity to challenge that strategy. Yeah, so if you, every faction in Scythe has a very asymmetric, asymmetric ability, the mechs in your faction also have asymmetric abilities. Lean into that asymmetry if you want. Um, my tip for Scythe, I have a bunch of others that will follow this, but my tip is to program your first two actions based on your player mat and starting location so you can use the bottom row action on your second turn. Um, so if you look at your player mat and you look at where you're starting out in the game, so the resources that you're getting at the beginning of the game, typically you can take either a, a some combination of trade and, um, and uh, I'm forgetting the action right now, the, the action where you're gathering re resources, produce, produce and trade. Uh, those are top row actions. You can combine them in the right order so that on your second turn, you have enough resources to pay for the bottom row action that is paired with either produce or trade. Uh, I think this is a great route to take inside for that first turn because that gets your engine going right away. You get something on the board, you probably get an upgrade, a structure, a mech, or a recruit right away at the beginning of the game, and that can be a, a big boost on, on turn two to already activate that bottom row action. Someone else says to spread out inside. The territories are really valuable. Totally agree with that. So, uh, whether your goal is to end the game quickly or build up coins, focusing on bottom row actions that have a higher return of coins is key as those, those translate into points at the end of the game. Yeah, so if you look at your player mat, certain bottom row actions just inherently give you coins um, for completing them or for using them. Every time you make a mech, for example, on, on some player mats, you might get some coins. There's another tip coming up that, that recommends that even after you've completed a bottom row action, so even after you've uh, uh, created uh, deployed four mechs, you can still use that bottom reaction. You have to pay to use it as usual, but you can still pay to use it. And uh, the conversion of coins are more valuable than resources. So it's, it's generally better to continue to use that whenever you can to generate those coins because coins are points at the end of the game. If you have four or five workers already, doing one more action to boost it to eight for the star is actually a really good deal. Yeah, getting that eight worker star. 
Bottomer actions can continue to be performed to earn coins even after the star. Yeah, so this is the thing I was talking about in a second. Even after the star has been earned for the related action. Focus more on your popularity than you think you have to. Yeah, this is something that I rarely do inside. Usually I'll spend that popularity for the more powerful encounter benefits. But yeah, totally. Popularity can convert to a lot of points at the end of the game if you boost your popularity and focus on that. This is a key tip. I, I totally agree with this. Focus on a few things, not everything inside. You need the stars to score at the end as well. So this is, the, this is a huge thing inside that I recommend to new players. It can be tempting to try a little bit of everything. And maybe over the course of the game, you might end up trying a little bit of everything. But the way that you get stars inside is by completing specific goals, by having four mechs, by having four structures. So pick a few of those that make sense. Um, maybe leave a few flexible to pursue in the middle of the game. But being focused inside can, actually, can lead to a much more successful game, I think, than spreading thin. Uh, get close, oh, this is interesting, get close to finishing multiple stars so you can get several in a couple turns without a target on yourself too early. I think this is really clever um, where, you know, you, some players can put a target on, the, on themselves by finishing the stars a little bit too quickly. Whereas if you get really close, but you, other players don't see those stars on the, on the glory track, um, they won't put a target on you. So another, another person recommends getting the worker star, never get the upgrade star. Uh, yeah, this is a good tip. I, I actually really like the upgrades, but I can see this as a successful uh, side tip. Going after those workers, because workers are going to produce things for you, and get, they give you that star, and not get the upgrade star. Uh, I love the encounters inside. Someone says, go for the encounter that is closest to you first. Just try to get to it as soon as possible. And then other people recommended, uh, yeah, here's the next one. Find the fastest way to leave your little island, your little confinement, and go on a quest for encounters. Um, I can't entirely verify that that's a great strategy, but, uh, but it certainly is fun, and it's good if it works out because you're getting free stuff. A couple more tips for side. Make sure that you're aware of other players' board states to see how close the game is to ending um, so you, that you know when the crucial point in time is that you need to, when you need to actually spread out to other territories. I like that. Someone says, don't focus on getting into the factory. Totally, totally valid tip. I love the, what I'm loving about these tips with Scythe in particular, and some of these other games that you'll see in a second, is the vast variety of strategies that are valid in Scythe. Uh, don't focus on getting to the factory. There could also be strategies where the, the focus is getting to the factory. You gather those encounters along the way, get to the factory, get a special bonus for the rest of the game. Ending the game unexpectedly with multiple combat stars often wins you the game. Yeah, building up to one crucial turn where you control when, when the end of the game happens and you actually win multiple combats on the turn, that can be huge. Two more. The most profound strategy I've learned inside is to get a resource I do not have access to early in the game and start using it to build. Because too often I'll get stuck in a cycle and max out the two lower production areas and often neglect the other two. So they're saying like, just don't go by default to those two territories that are right next to your base camp. Go find another one. Maybe the other one, there should be one other territory that isn't far away or even go a little bit further. Reading these tips is making me want to play side again. Um, and last, always be the third party coming in after conflict between others. So if you can see the two people are building up for a battle, be within range to race in there and go in for kind of an easy battle right afterward. All right, that's it for side. Let me know your side tips in the comments below. Let's move on to Tapestry. I have the Tapestry expansion here a little bit easier to hold up than the big box for, for Tapestry. Tapestry, get those income buildings out as quickly as you can, however you can. Yeah, the, the, these are the residual benefits in Tapestry. If you get an income building out, you're getting benefits throughout the game from then on. That can be huge. 
Getting to the next era before your neighbors is extremely important because there's only so many income buildings you can gain in the first round. This kind of uh, complements and also contradicts the first recommendation there. Uh, there is a limit based on your resources as to how many income buildings that you can actually get. If you're only going to get one more income building, it might make sense to take an income turn to get a resource of your choice instead, or even two resources at times. And that's a great point. If you are, if you could only have one, if you have one resource left and you would spend that resource to get an income building, that income building is generally just gonna generate one extra resource for you. And so why not end your turn a little bit early or end your round a little bit early, gain two resources because uh, neither of your neighbors has uh, has passed to the next round that could be hugely beneficial um tapestry if taking a resource is an option in tapestry choose that over anything another one not sure this counts as clever but for tapestry make sure you get a technology card before ending the first age to take advantage of scoring and progressing technology yeah i think that's a great great tip i mean get these residual benefits going early whether it's the income buildings whether it's the technology um yeah that can be huge here's my tip uh I just picked one that no one else had said. I like to push forward on one track that no other players are pushing for. Um, so usually I don't mind. In fact, I kind of like not taking the first turn in Tapestry uh, because then I can see what other players are going for. I'm happy to go after any track. I don't, I don't uh, have a preference of one track in Tapestry over the other. But I like to push forward on one. And I like to push forward as fast as possible to grab those landmarks, to get stronger abilities that can make the other things that I'm doing in the game even more powerful. Um, and also just the, the idea of focusing on a track that other players aren't going for. That way, if you do decide to, to slow down on that track a little bit, you don't have someone right at your heels that might grab those landmarks that you want to get instead. Someone says, there's no absolute strategy or tip in tapestry. Every game is highly dependent on your civilization, tapestries in hand, tech cards showing, exploration tiles at hand, and perceived goals for your opponents. And I think this is a great tip for any of these games, but perhaps especially in tapestry, that there isn't necessarily a master strategy. Uh, it's somewhat tactical. You got to go based on what what your choices what choices are available to you and what your opponents are doing as well. Extend. So this is one that contradicts that earlier tip of of leaving rounds early, leaving eras early to grab those extra resources that you get if you pass before your opponents. Uh, extend rounds as much as possible, except when entering your final income turn so that you get the three bonus income materials. Three bonus income materials is a lot. I think it's just two. I think it's one for the opponent on your right, one for the left if they haven't already passed. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's an interesting tip. Extend the rounds as much as possible. Uh, and the, I'm sure there can be cases where that can work to, to push to get that one more turn, one more turn. Uh, the, the track opposite the one I'm focusing on will generally synergize well. Try to take try to time things to the advantage of each space. And yeah, this is something that I was big in the design of Tapestry. I designed a number of, of benefits so that they are better if you've paired them with another specific track or another specific thing that you're doing. Um, and this can even happen during the game, like where you're, you're about to take a space that gives you benefits for every territory you co you've conquered. Um, and so you might hold off on progressing on that benefit or advancing to that benefit until you've, to, until you've conquered a few more territories. That timing is huge in Tapestry. Uh, take an income turn. Here's another one. Take an early income turn to get th the three extra resources when it's least expected. I'll have to, maybe I'm misremembering how tapestry works. Um, it's been a little while since I played it, but getting three extra resources versus, oh, I think that, I think it scales up. I'll pull it up while I'm talking here. Let's see. In tapestry, um, I'll pull up the, the player map um, to see what it actually is. And while I'm doing this, 
Here's three tips, three final tips from the same person. Plan four turns ahead if you can. Uh, that's easier said than done, but it is possible. Take income turns early if your next few moves won't gain you a building. The extra resources from going first will make a big difference. And let's look at what the player map looks like. Uh, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, so the, the number of resources you gain scales up um, as you go from turn to turn, uh, from income turn to income turn. So in the first uh, the first time that you'll, you'll pass to take an income turn, um, you'll get one resource if you are the first of your neighbors. Then the next time you do it, it's two resources if you are the first of your neighbors. The final income turn is three resources. That's why people are referencing that there's three resources. And finally, uh, someone has a very specific combo they recommend. Reach the last space on the military track that gives you a conquer benefit plus both dice benefits plus a civilization. Then go to the academic research space of the, of the science track to repeat an action to repeat academic research five times. Uh, doing nothing except amusing, amusing, annoying people. Technically, you can't do this. You can only take each benefit once per turn. Um, finally, do the real action, repeating the last military space again to, to yet to uh, to yet to gain again another civilization. Um, so this is key. We did add a rule um, that some people ignore, which is fine. But we did add a rule later on in Tapestry that says that you can only gain each benefit once per turn um, to kind of avoid some of these giant loops. Um, I, I want people to have big turns in Tapestry, but I think there's a limit to them. And so that's why we added that rule. All right, let's move on to Viticulture. And I have just randomly sorted my tip first here on the list. My tip for Viticulture is, and the thing that I like to do in Viticulture is to do, here's, here's Viticulture world here while I talk about it, um, is to do anything to get grapes on your crush pad in the first year and if not the first year the second year so oftentimes one of the things that i'll do if i have the option is i will trade for grape tokens in the first year if i know that i can't align the vine cards or the visitor cards to make that happen because i really like to get those grapes aging right away there's plenty of time for them to age on the crush pad there's no limit until they get to nine which is you know that's a long time away um, but it can be just a huge benefit if you can pull that off um, even better, I get, I try to get things planted and get that, get kind of accumulate grapes really early in the game, not just having some, but if I can just get a few grapes early on, I go for it. Viticulture, stop limiting yourself to a single strategy, hoping the, for the perfect cards to be drawn and plan your game tactically according to the cards you already have. This is a huge tip. I totally agree. Um, this is something, so one of the things that people ask me about Viticulture from time to time is, can we just play with some cards face up? Can we choose some face up cards? But that isn't the choice that's, that Viticulture is offering you. Viticulture is offering you an abundance of cards. You, it's very easy to get cards throughout the game. The game is constantly just giving you more and more vine, uh, vine cards, wine order cards, and visitor cards. The key decision point in Viticulture is which of those cards do you want to play and when do you play them? And one of the biggest mistakes that people make in Viticulture is like this person says here, hoping to draw into the right card. Don't do it that way. Get cards and then plan around the cards that you have. And this can mean sometimes if you were going after a wine order strategy, you need to get wine order cards early in the game. And some of them you might end up discarding and ignoring, but others you'll focus on, you'll pursue them, you'll go after them. Um, yeah, this is a huge strategy tip for Viticulture. Someone says, gain the cottage to have more options throughout the game. This is another reason, another way to get more cards. Get a cottage. Cottage is going to give you an extra visitor card uh, every fall. So that can be huge. That's If you get that early, that's, that's a lot of cards over the course of the game. And visitors are generally very good. One person says they, they recommend uh, stacking visitor cards. So this means going to the action spaces and the bonuses specifically where you can play two visitor cards on the same turn. That can be very powerful. 
Um, a strategy we often see forgotten is selling champagne for four points. So this is something in the Tuscany expansion of viticulture. You can sell wine to gain some points, especially if you have a weak order card. So yeah, that's that's a great action to focus on, not necessarily throughout the game, but it can it can happen later in the game typically to sell your wine and champagne four points. That's a lot. Uh, that's a lot of points to get, and you, that way you don't even have to care about what wine order cards are showing up in your hand. You can always sell it uh, for four points. Um, the visitor cards are so underrated. I've never, I've never actually heard visitor cards is underrated, but this person says they're underrated. My play group, this person says my play group thinks that they are hit, too hit and miss to have a strategy around them, meaning they are often really good or don't offer them any help. I found if you collect them and go through them early, you can build up a really good plan surrounding them. This is the way to play viticulture. Don't play, don't draw cards hoping to draw the right thing. Plan around the abundance of cards that you already have. Totally agree. And last. Always plant red and white grapes in the same field to give flexibility in uh, wines that can be produced with one harvest or, or vine cards. Uh, uh, they mean uh, grapes that can be produced in one harvest. I love this as well. I love having white and red on the same field because it means that with a single harvest action, I'm getting two tokens. Because when you harvest a, a field that has, say, several vine cards, but they're all red, um, you're only getting one red token out of there. You're getting the, a red token equal to the sum of all those those uh, those vine cards. So yeah, I love the the idea of having red and or red and white on the same field. That's it for viticulture. Last, we're on to wingspan, and I have wingspan Asia here as my representative box today. Some great wingspan tips here. So uh, build. So someone says build or, or play water birds first. You're not building birds, you're playing them. Uh, to keep a full hand, give you lots of options, chuck extra cards for food. Um, they're referring to the uh, the bonuses that you can use. When you're taking certain actions, you can uh, you take a bonus action on the player mat where you can discard a, a bird card to gain an extra food token. I love this idea in a lot of the, our games. Again, get an, get, find a way to get an abundance of cards, especially if there is some element of random card draw, and then choose the cards that fit best for your strategy. Here's my tip uh, before I get to a bunch of other tips. Do not underestimate the end of round goals in Wingspan. And I say this as someone who often estimates, underestimates the end of round goals in Wingspan. And this is the reason that uh, like Megan, whenever I play Wingspan with Megan, Megan is really good at focusing on those end of round goals and she often wins as a result. She gets a lot of points from them. Where I'm kind of going with the birds that look cool or going after, you know, getting points in the game. But uh, those end of round goals can be a big deal. And they can also be a great way to steer your strategy if you are if you don't have one at any given time. Just look at the, the next end of round goal or the one that's uh, the next round or the next round after that, planning ahead a little bit. Another tip that's similar to Scythe for Wingspan, don't try to be good at everything. Focus on maybe one or two of the rows in Wingspan and get really good at them. Eggs and high-value birds are key. Yeah, I think this is, it's a little bit of an obvious strategy, but yes, eggs are worth points. Um, just like ca uh, caching food is points, tucking cards are points, uh, and high value birds are points as well. I've learned that in Wingspan, it's advantageous to play birds that let you gain food, lay eggs, and collect cards in rows other than the ones that give you those actions. Yeah, this is kind of the infamous Raven strategy, um, but there are many other cards that give you benefits that are not typically associated with those rows. So if you have the row, uh, the, the wetlands, the wetlands let you draw cards inherently. But if you play birds in that row that let you gain food or lay eggs, that can be huge. You can, that way you can have a full engine running from just that single row. When playing solo, this is a great solo tip, something that I, I don't do. Uh, when playing solo, the key to winning is getting a low point value bird that matches the Automa's goal card and leave it out. 
The Automaton takes cards worth the same number of points when they are face down, so making them take low value birds is key. This is actually really cool. Um, and I guess it kind of might work in solo play a little bit too. If you see those low value birds, maybe leave them out there for other players. At the same time, I sometimes like the low value birds because they're easier to play and I can get my engine running faster. So I kind of like the low value birds early in the game in particular. So kind of gaming, gamifying the solo game a little bit. Someone loves to go for tucked birds. They say, don't, don't underestimate the tucked birds in the game. And I'm sure if you follow like the Wingspan Facebook group, you've seen photos of people who have stacks of like 40 cars that they've tucked under a bird because they found a great tucking engine in the game. Focus early game on getting a few birds for the forest environment to increase your food supply to allow the ability to play more birds with better efficiency. I like that. I definitely like getting the food in Wingspan. Try to play cards that let you draw cards. More cards equal better opportunities. This is very similar to the first tip that I mentioned. Sorry, I did go through these in advance um, to, uh, to filter them a little bit. Oh, and it looks like that is number 50. That's the final tip. Uh, we'll end with that. That is kind of a, a common theme across many Stillmeyer games. If you have a random element, get a lot of that element and then use that information that you now have to make choices, to make cho decide which cards to play and when to play them. That's a huge kind of common denominator in our games. Those are, those are our tips for these six games. Um, I didn't have any tips submitted for other games that we have, but I might do one of those in the future, maybe focusing on my strategy tips. But I'd love to hear what you think in the comments below. What is, what is like the number one strategy tips tip for, for Wingspan, for Viticulture, Tapestry, Scythe, Rolling Realms, and Euphoria? What's your number one tip for one of those games or all of those games if you have a number one tip? Thanks.